0: Thank you.
1: I did not want to do this particular sermon series. Being a new year, I really wanted to focus on something upbeat, something lighter, something more positive. Quite frankly, after enduring the two weeks to flatten the COVID curve and the Christmas season, I wanted to do something easier. Something more familiar. But try as I might, the Lord kept bringing me back to the little book of Nahum. I want you to find that book in your Bible. It may have been a long time since you found it. If you get back kind of towards the end of the Old Testament, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. If you get to Matthew, back up five or six books and try to find the little book of Nahum. This was not on my radar screen. This was not even in my notes of a possible series. Uh, it wasn't even on the list. I thought about maybe the minor, some minor prophet, but not Nahum. I'm curious, how many of you, by a raising of your hand, have ever heard a series of sermons on the book of Nahum? Can I see your hands? Okay. I uh, didn't see anybody raise their hand. How many of you know much about Nahum? Can I see your hand? I'm not going to call you out, all right? Well, that's kind of what I assumed. Uh, I, I too, knew little about this prophet and his message. Sure, i would read it before as I've read through the Scripture. I surely studied it in Bible college and Old Testament uh, survey. But it's certainly not a favorite book of many. How many of your favorite book of the Bible is Nahum? Nahum is one of those books of the Bible that we know it's in the Bible. We have a hard time finding it. We know very little about it. And it's not really a favorite book of ours. It's one of those neglected books. And when we study it together, which we're going to begin today, you're going to find out why it's probably not one of the favorite books and it's probably a neglected book. It deals with something that people do not like to think about or talk about when it comes to God. You know, when it comes to God, we like to focus on His attributes or His characteristics that make us feel comfortable and the ones that we like. We like to think about the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the patience of God and the long-suffering of God. And we ought to think about those things and we ought to study those things and we certainly worship Him for those things, but we don't like to think about the wrath of God And the judgment of God. And guess what? Guess what Nahum is all about? It's about God's wrath on his enemies. Happy New Year! (laughs) Let's launch into Nahum. No, but seriously, don't check out. This is good news in many regards. The very interesting thing about the book of Nahum is Nahum itself. Believe it or not, Nahum means, it literally means comfort. That's what it means. Uh, this is supposed to be a comforting thing to the people of God, thinking about God's wrath and God's judgment. Now, that seems strange, but let's think about it for a moment. If God never dealt with His enemies, if God never executed judgment, if God never set things that are wrong, He never set those things right, then how could God be a just God? It's comforting to know for the child of God that God will judge all the evil that we see in our world. It appears that evil is winning. It appears at times that evil will triumph, but we know better. One day all the wrong will be set right. It will be dealt with because God is a a just God. Now you need to remember, because we're going to read some verses today We're going to say some things about God that may sound strange to you. We're going to talk about the fact that God is a jealous God. We're going to talk about the anger of God. Now, we have a hard time with that. Why? Because when we say that God is a jealous God, and you're going to see it in the Scripture for yourself, when we think of jealousy, we think about ourselves. And we know that jealousy in us is ugly. But in God, it is holy and right. Why? Because He's God alone. God is God above all. He's God alone. We read the scripture earlier today. He knows that for us to worship or serve or give our allegiance to any other God or any other thing is harmful for us. So God is a jealous God because He's God alone. Likewise, God is angry. That is a characteristic, that is an attribute of God. When we say that God has anger, don't think about us. Because what happens with us, we sometimes have a temper tantrum. We fly off the handle. But when we say that God is angry or God has anger or God executes His wrath, it is pure, it is righteous, it is holy anger. God is perfect. Everything God does is perfect. Everything God is is perfect. And we cannot pick and choose what we like about God and ignore the rest. And Nahum paints an important part of our understanding of God. Now granted, you will not see most of these verses on your greeting cards unless you send greeting cards to your enemies. But it is a revelation of God that God has given to us about Himself. And God wants us to see Him for who He is. And part of that are these attributes that you and I get very uncomfortable about. All Scripture is profitable and God wants us to know these things about Himself. Now, this particular series, I said, I didn't want to do this series. I really didn't. What kind of got me even headed in this direction, how many of you remember the old radio program? I'm not going to date some of us. You remember the old radio program, Paul Harvey? You remember Paul Harvey on the radio? I remember growing up. Now, some of you don't know who Paul Harvey is, and that's fine. But as a boy growing up, I remember hearing his unmistakable voice on the radio. Apparently, his program came when we were in the car a lot. I don't know if it was coming on from school or whatever. Sometime during the day, I would hear his unmistakable voice. And Paul Harvey, for those who don't know who he, who he was, he would tell such interesting stories about people. But he had a catchphrase that he always used in every single episode. Remember what it was? And now the rest of the story. And you'd find out what the rest of the story was. And we would be there because we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have video games, we didn't have nothing. I know that's not good grammar. You kids have everything. We had nothing. We looked out the window. So we listened to Paul Harvey. And now the rest of the story. We'd be like, what's the rest of the story? An interesting thing is, Nahum is the rest of the story of a book that you already know about, probably. And a person you already know about. It's the rest of the story from the book of Jonah. I love the book of Jonah. You remember the book of Jonah? I preached through it here. I preached through it elsewhere. I took a... Last time I was a camp pastor, we preached through the life of Jonah. We preached through that book. Jonah remembers the story about the prophet who was called to go and preach against those evil Ninevites. And Jonah didn't want to go. And he was the prodigal prophet. And he called a ship going the opposite direction. And then he ends up spending time in the whale motel. And then he finally goes and he begins to preach and God sends a great revival in that place called Nineveh. The interesting thing, though, is as you read the book of Jonah, as you study it, it doesn't end the way that you think it would end. Because we kind of think about a great revival. We think about maybe Billy Graham and a great crusade. And he's there in the stadium. They begin, they begin to sing, just as I am. And thousands come forward. And everybody that knows Christ is rejoicing because all these people are getting saved. But that's not what happens with Jonah. In fact, in this great revival, it's such a great revival, God does not judge them at that time Jonah is boiling mad. He's angry. So angry he wants to die. In fact, he says in chapter 4, verse 2 of Jonah, so he prayed to the Lord and said, this is what Jonah prayed. Chapter 4, verse 2 of Jonah. Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. In other words, Jonah says, I knew this was going to happen. I know, I know you're a gracious God. You were, going to, you were going to do this. And those Ninevites, they deserve to die. They deserve to be judged. And yet you preserve them. The scholar tells me that Nineveh was the capital of one of the cruelest, vilest, and most powerful and most idolatrous empires in the world. That's what Nineveh was. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And through the preaching of Jonah and the grace of God, it spared judgment in this great revival. By the way, in case you're wondering, We believe Jonah did get right because he wrote the book of Jonah and he told the whole story. (laughs) But then, some hundred years later, we have another prophet who goes to Nineveh. or, Or talks about Nineveh, I should say. Another prophet who talks about Nineveh. You guessed it. The prophet's name is Nahum. And we find that this time... The message to Nineveh is not a call to repentance. It is a message of doom. God was done with Nineveh and God was done with the Assyrian kingdom. He was going to judge them. And now the rest of the story. Would you look there? Verse number 1 of Nahum. Nahum Chapter 1, verse 1. The burden against Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous. And the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has His way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of His feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before Him. The hills melt and the earth heaves at His presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of His anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by Him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble And He knows those who trust in Him. But with an overflowing flood, He will make an utter end of its place and darkness will pursue His enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, They shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. While this prophecy is particularly to and about Nineveh, it's important to notice, beloved, that this is God's attitude and his feeling toward evil evil nations, and evil empires. He is the Lord. The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can rest assured that God does not wink at evil or simply ignore evil. He will judge it. And never forget, beloved, remember just because the Lord does not act immediately and does not deal with wickedness immediately, that doesn't mean He's not going to act at all. Because he is going to act. Now before Nahum gets into the particulars about the destruction of Nineveh, he begins by talking about God. And it's interesting, we're barely going to scratch the surface today, but I want you to notice some things that God reveals about himself here in these words we've read together. Would you notice, first of all, that God is patient? God is patient. We're reminded about that in verse number 3. It says that God is slow to anger. God is patient. Height he he likened God's um, judgment at times to like a slow boil. You know what I'm talking about. You ever put a pot of water on a stove and you start out and you you put the pot on there and you put the heat on and you wait and you wait and you wait and and, and it takes some time and, and it begins to get hotter and hotter and hotter And eventually you begin to see the bubbles form and then it begins to boil. That's a picture a lot of times of God's judgment because God is patient. God has shown much patience with Nineveh, even sparing judgment at Jonah's preaching under that great revival, but His patience is wearing thin. As I understand it, they tell me that within 50 years of this prophecy that we're reading right now, within 50 years of this prophecy, Um, of Nahum, Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire would be no more. Even that shows us God is patience, because there's some time that elapses between the prophecy and the fulfillment of it. In fact, so complete was the destruction of this place, it was not until, they tell me, 1842. In 1842, modern archaeologists rediscovered its location in modern-day Iraq so complete was the destruction not until 50 years roughly after this to 1842 did they even discover where the location was and for some listening to me today for some listening to me god has been patiently waiting for you patiently waiting for you to come to him and receive him as your savior the bible is very clear in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 where it says the lord isn't really being slow about his promise As some people think, no, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. And God is waiting on some. Listen to me right now. God is patiently waiting upon you. But don't mistake His patience as an invitation to keep putting off His grace. As the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and life today and you know you need to repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ, come today. You're not promised another day in which to repent. The Bible is very clear, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You may not be here tomorrow. I may not be here tomorrow. If God is dealing with your heart about something, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And God has been patiently waiting upon some. I remember my own life going to a revival as a young man. And the one night I was there and, and the Lord started dealing with my heart and I go home and, and, and I, I'm miserable. I know I need to get saved. I know I'm lost. And praise be to the Lord that He gave me to the next night and I went back and I received Him as my Lord and Savior. Some of you have been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, but don't mistake God's patience as an invitation to keep on putting it off. Because His Spirit shall not strive with man forever. Repent now. Be saved now. Nahum 1.6 says it this way in the NLT. Who can stand before His fierce anger? Who can survive His burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble at like dust in His presence. In other words, who can stand before the Lord? Nobody! That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Savior. He's the one that took God's wrath upon Himself so that you and I don't have to. God is patient. God is long-suffering. We're so thankful for that. The Scripture reveals it here for us. Not only is God patient, but we also notice here in this passage that God is powerful. Verse 3 says, the Lord is great in power. Perhaps you noticed all the references to nature and creation. It talked about their Uh, about the whirlwind and the dust and the clouds and the mountains and all these things. God is a powerful God. Nineveh, if you study about it, it was thought to be unbeatable. Just like the Titanic was thought to be unsinkable. In fact, listen to what the scholars tell us about it. Bruce Wilkinson and and Kenneth Boas said, Nineveh became the mightiest city on earth. It had walls a hundred feet high. Think about that, a city. The walls are a hundred feet high. And they said the walls were so wide that three chariots could ride side by side on top of those walls. Picture that a city with a hundred foot walls and three chariots can ride side by side on those walls. They tell us that dotted around the walls were huge towers. And those towers stretched another hundred feet above the walls. So a 100 foot walls, so wide and thick that three chariots could ride. And above that, a 100 foot towers, towering 200 feet in the air. And they said that those walls were surrounded by a moat. And the moat was 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep. In fact, they tell us that Nineveh... It appeared to be impregnable. It could withstand a 20-year siege. They had enough supplies and enough wherewithal to be able to handle 20 years. And then you read this. Nahum comes along and says, The Lord is going to judge this place. You see, to us as humans, we look at that and say, look at those walls. Look at the tower. Look at the chair. Look at the moat. Look at the depth! Look at all the stuff. Nobody can conquer that city. But what is all that to God? God is all-powerful. God spoke the world into existence. God is powerful. God is patient. But there's another important thing God reveals about Himself here, and that is God prosecutes evil. That may sound like a strange way of wording it, but I think you'll see why. You know, I've been in stores before. Maybe you have as well. You ever been in a store and you're looking around and you notice a sign up on the wall that says shoplifters will be prosecuted? You ever seen a sign like that? What does that mean? Well, what they want you to understand by that is they mean if you steal something, they're not just going to wave at you or turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to that. No. They're going to call the police. And they're going to do the best thing they can, the best way they can, to begin a legal process against you and hold you accountable for your wrongdoing. They're not just going to look the other way. Can I just remind you that God also prosecutes evil? And not only does He prosecute evil, God is the judge and the jury. And not only is He prosecuting evil and the judge and the jury, His ruling is final. There's no one else you can appeal to. And furthermore, can I just remind you, He's always right. You say, prosecutes evil. Look at verse 3. It says there, He will not acquit the wicked. No acquittal for the wicked. Our sin must be dealt with. We're either going to have our sin paid for by Jesus' work on the cross, and that is the hope for all, that our sin is dealt with at the cross and paid for at the cross, that, that Jesus bore our sin at the cross. Our sins either dealt with there at the cross, or if we reject the cross and reject Christ, we'll be thrown into the lake of fire, a horrible place that we call hell... And we'll be there for all eternity. And I know that's strong, but that's what the Bible teaches. Our sin must be dealt with. Now this is not popular preaching and this is not what everybody wants to hear today, but it's what the Bible teaches. Our sin must be dealt with. It's either dealt with at the cross where Christ takes it upon Himself, or we'll pay for it all eternity in a horrible place called hell. Can I just beg you again, friend? If you've never given your life to Christ, do it today. He died for you on that cross. He shed His blood for you on the cross. He took your sin upon Himself and all you have to do is give your life to believe and you'll receive eternal life. I find it interesting here, we're talking about the Bible study that um, Pastor Larry is going to be doing based upon Erwin Lutzer's book. I find it interesting here Do you that this is against a nation. God holds nations and empires accountable. I find that very interesting. In the midst of all this hard talk and judgment, did you notice the word of comfort? And I told you Nahum means comfort, Right? But there's a word of comfort, and I want you to see it. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It's verse number 7. Now, I told you there were not many greeting cards are going to have verses from Nahum on it, but if they do, I think this will be the one. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who trust in Him. In all the darkness of this gloom and doom message from Nahum, There shines this glorious light in verse number 7. Nahum was living in dark days. You and I understand what that's like, don't we? We're living in dark days. We're seeing things and experiencing things and watching things and hearing things go on in our world that just make us want to weep. Every day it seems worse and worse. Every day it seems that evil abounds more and more. But I want to remind you that God has not left us alone. He is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in Him. He's our refuge we can run to on the darkest days of our life. We've got a lot to process already. You said, I know some of you thinking, I wouldn't have come to church today if I knew He's preaching on Nahum. <clears throat> and you may not come back until I'm done preaching on Nahum. And that's okay. I, I leave that between you and the Lord. Now I don't know exactly why the Lord led me to Nahum. I didn't want to preach this. But you see, when you preach the Word of God, you preach all the Word of God. You preach the whole counsel of God. So I want to give you some action points. I know we've just kind of opened the, this all up and you're like, Wow! God is a jealous God. God is angry. God's going to judge. Happy New Year. I want to give you some action points stick with you. I want to give you three action points today. And we're not done. We're going to jump back in, Nahum, later, God willing. But I want to give you three action points. What to do with this. Because you didn't come to church today just to hear about the Ninevites. Nobody comes to church to hear about the Ninevites, right? What does this mean to you? What does this mean to me? What does it mean to us living in 2022? What does it mean to those of us living here in 2022, kind of out in the remote area? Not in the big city even. What does it mean to us? Well, Let me give you three action points. Three things to do with this message. You ready for them? Number one, warn others about the wrath of God. Warn others about the wrath of God. Put another way, in other words, share the bad news so you can share the good news. Listen, we're living in a day where a lot of people don't want to talk about the bad news. And they want everything that deals with the Lord or with God or with the church to all be positive. And all you do is smile all the time and you just look happy all the time. But you see, that's not reality. It's not what the Bible teaches in order to be able to share the good news, you got to know what the bad news is. In order to be saved, you've got to know what you're going to be saved from. And the Bible is very clear that God is a God of wrath, that God will judge evil, and we are sinners, all of us. And our sin must be dealt with. And the bad news is our sin separates us from a holy God. Our sin dooms us and condemns us. We can't do anything about it ourselves. We're dead in sin. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God loves us so much. He said, I'll do something about their sin. I'll send my perfect son to die on the cross and take their sin, our sin, and I'll put my wrath on my son. And I put my rack on my stock, And if you'll believe my son, if you'll receive my son, I'll receive you. And I'll forgive you. And I'll make you my child. And I'll give you a home in heaven. Talk about comfort. Talk about good news. Say, Nahum is all bad. No, it's great. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who belong to Him. So, I beg you today, friend, if you don't know Him, come to Him, but then warn others about the wrath of God. Now, you may not want to be quite as strong as I am right off the bat. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, and certainly want to love people and encourage people. But at some point, if you're going to share the gospel with people, you've got to share the bad news in order to get to the good news. Warn others about the wrath of God. Secondly, you ready for this? Remember just how serious sin really is. We're living in a day where we treat sin very lightly. We, We treat sin like a play rubber snake that we might pick up at Walmart. It's not a play rubber snake. It's a rattlesnake. And it will kill you. Sin is serious business. Sin will destroy you. Sin will destroy your life. Sin will destroy your family. We've got to remember just how serious sin really is. I, I experienced, I just remind me this this past week, I heard about someone, what they've done! Destroyed their life because of sin. Examine your life. Get before the Lord sometime this week. Preferably sometime today. And just say, Lord, I want to be clean. I, I, I'm talking to Christians now. I want to be clean. L- look at my life. Is there anything in my life that's not right? Show me. sin my. Forgive me of my sin. Help me not to sin. By the way, I just want to encourage you with this. When we sin as believers, notice that when we sin, not if we sin. We sin. I'm pretty sure I sin every day. We do sin as believers. We don't lose our salvation. If we're truly born again, we have eternal life. Nobody can take that away from us. But we do lose our fellowship with God. And we do lose our joy of the Lord. And there are consequences to sin. God forgives, but there's consequences. I can go out tomorrow and I can rob a bank and and God would forgive me, but I'm still going to jail. I'm still losing my job. I'm still hindering my ministry. I'm still losing my testimony. To remember just how serious sin really is. And then thirdly, run to your refuge. Run to God when the days get dark. I love what it says there in verse 7. At the end it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold, a refuge in the days of trouble, and He knows those who trust in Him. The Lord has not forgotten us. Now I want to just say that again. The Lord has not forgotten you. Some of you may feel that way today. You've gone through a very hard season of life. We've all gone through a hard season. We're coming up on two years in March. Two very difficult years. And then some had a hard season before that. And we don't know what 2022 is going to bring. We know it will bring days of of joy and it will bring days of sorrow because that's life. But in the midst of the dark days, when times get dark and times get rough, we can run to the Father. There's a song out you may have heard in the radio Run to the Father, fall into grace. What a picture! Fall into His arms, rest in Him. He's not left you alone. He hasn't forgotten about you. He knows you by name. Do you realize that a book that deals with the jealousy of God and the wrath of God can bring such comfort to the child of God? We've only gotten through the first part. It gets pretty rough, by the way. But He knows you by name. So can I encourage you in this new year that when times are hard, run to the Father. He is a refuge, a strength, a very present help in trouble. Would you pray with me? Father, these are strong words. But You have revealed this about Yourself. So help us to take comfort in knowing that You are a jealous God and a God that exercises wrath against Your enemies. And Lord, thank You that in the midst of Your wrath, You remembered mercy. Thank You that You are our God. Help us to share the message with others. Help us, Lord, to not fall into sin and help us to run to you when the days get long and hard and dark Lord we thank you that you are good thank you that you are a stronghold a refuge in days of trouble and thank you that you know those of us who know you and you care for us and you shepherd We give You glory and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning. Good reminder as we go out with that first action point, Rescue the Perishing 357. If you need to be saved today as we sing this song, I'm going to be down here. Pastor Larry will be here. We'd love to take the Bible and share Christ with you. Maybe somebody's in your heart you need to share the Gospel with this year. Why don't you come pray for them? Maybe you're in a rough time right now. Why don't you come and pray? Why don't you come to the refuge today? We can help you. Let us know. Or you come on your own. 357. Let's stand together and sing.